Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas in personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Mind Valley podcast. This episode is going to ruffle some feathers. Please, 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 I ask you to just have an open mind and listen to what you're about to hear. It all started around seven months ago when Marion Williamson approached me, and we'd known each other for a while, for about 10 years. And Marion told me that she was going to run for Democratic candidate for president, and she asked if I would support her. Now, I'm always skeptical of anyone going into politics, and you can't blame me, right? I mean, we have seen that politics can be an extremely dirty business. But one of the things I also believe is that spirituality and politics need to mix. I remember my friend Neil Donald Walsh once telling me that your politics is your spirituality expressed. And what Neil was saying is that people who truly believe that they are spiritual, people who believe in personal growth, cannot just sit back and assume that the world is going to take care of itself. We need to help heal the world, to help push the world towards more conscious paths. And so I got into a conversation with Marianne Williamson and I said, sure, I will be happy to interview you and I will be happy to put you on stage for 30 minutes at Mind Valley Reunion and to see the audience response. What I wasn't expecting is how far Marianne would go. If you've been paying attention to the US news lately, you'd see that after the second democratic debate, Trevor Noah on The Daily Show basically said Marianne Williamson won the debate and she has been making so many waves on talk shows all across America. And what is most surprising and most impressive are the comments below her talk show appearances, whether it's The Daily Show or whether it's Stephen Colbert. I encourage you to watch her on YouTube at the various talk shows and read the comments. I have never seen someone running for office get so many powerful, positive comments from people who are blown away, not just by their spiritual nature, but by the depth of her intelligence. I decided to give Marianne a chance on Mind Valley, and I decided to support her campaign. This talk was part of it. I put her on stage at Mind Valley Reunion. I interviewed her. We sent the videos of these talks and interviews to our list, numbering 1.5 million people. And we managed to get enough donations in time to help get Marion into the debates. So thank you so much, Mind Valley audience. What I'm sharing here in this podcast is the audio version of her talk at our Mind Valley event in Los Angeles in February 2019. Marion is going to talk about some interesting topics. She's going to talk about the importance of activism in day to day life. She's going to reference ideas from Martin Luther King. She's going to talk about some of her more radical policy ideas, such as reparations for slavery. Now, you don't have to agree with all of these ideas. And that's the beauty of politics. We can respectfully disagree. What I want you to pay attention to is her passion and her vision for consciousness in politics. And I think no matter where you lean, left or right, no matter what country you're in, we can all agree that nations can bring more love, compassion, and consciousness 
into the way they govern their people so that people are taken care of, so that people have their medical needs and their basic needs available to them, and so that there is more compassion, love, and unity within communities. With that, I bring you Marianne Williamson. And this is the Mind Valley Podcast. It is absolutely an honor to be here. In A Course in Miracles, there's a phrase that says, an idea grows stronger when it is shared. So thank you, Vision, for having me here. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak into the listening of this particular group because it forms the kind of pod phenomenon that is going to change this world. We know that there's something very dangerous and frightening about what happens when a bunch of people who hate get together, but it's nothing in power and force compared to what's gonna happen because a bunch of people who love are now getting together. I know many of you are people that I have known, if not personally, but I've known on some energetic level because so many of us have been reading and writing the same books, listening to the same tapes, doing the same kind of healing and transformational work that I've been involved with for the last 35 years. We've talked about what it means to try to become the best versions of ourselves. But I think that there's a lesson to be taken here from nature. When a cell in the body becomes the best version of itself, it doesn't just stand there. It is guided through a kind of natural intelligence to where it might be best of service. Some are assigned to the pancreas and some are assigned to the lungs and some are assigned to the bones, some are assigned to the heart. And they are assigned in such a way that they then collaborate with other cells so that together they serve the healthy functioning of the organ and the organism of which they are part. So the highest actualization of each cell is in its collaboration with other cells to serve something higher than them both. Now, every once in a while, a cell, for reasons that science understands to some extent, to some others' extent, do not understand, a cell disconnects from its natural intelligence, and it goes off to do its own thing. It's not going to concern itself with the healthy functioning of the pancreas or the lungs or the heart. It wants to build its own kingdom, and it knows some other cells who act the same way that it does. That's called cancer. That's a malignancy. And that kind of energy is not only a malignancy in the body, it's a malignancy in consciousness. And that is what has happened to the human race. The human race has been infected with a malignant consciousness, the thought that it's all about me. That is not the spiritual mountaintop, ladies and gentlemen, that you can manifest your dreams. Adolf Hitler manifested his dreams. The high spiritual mountaintop is not just that you can have what you want, or you can have what you want, or you can have what you want. The highest spiritual mountaintop is that we can be something so much grander than what we are now. The whole point of life is not just to serve your personal goals, but to serve the ages. And it is that evolution, that evolution from what do I want to what do we need that evolution to it's just about me to it's about us forms the crux 
of the evolutionary movement at this point, which will determine whether or not humanity survives. You know, every single species comes to a point where if its behavior is maladaptive for its survival, it will either mutate, it will either evolve, or it will go extinct. And it's only the most magical thinking which leads any of us to believe that that doesn't apply to our species also. And yet our species is behaving in maladaptive ways. We fight too much, and we are at war against our own habitat. Now, in every species, what happens if it does survive is a mutation arrives. And in spiritual terms, the mutations are the great spiritual masters. The mutations are the great religious and spiritual figures who have arrived on the planet and basically demonstrated, not only expressed with their words, but demonstrated with their behavior another way. And of course, the miracle says the change begins when we consider the possibility there might be another way. You know, many people in the transformational field have either through our own lives or the lives of people that we love become very sophisticated about how addiction operates, how drugs and alcohol operate. And one of the things that you know if you've been close enough to that world, so whether it's drugs or alcohol, immoderate use, addictive use can lead to the death of the physical body. What you realize about drugs and alcohol is that the survival of the physical body is not guaranteed. It's time for us to awaken from our magical thinking. The survival of our democracy is not guaranteed, and the survival of the human race is not guaranteed either. Now, I have long felt that people who are involved in personal growth should hardly be the people who are standing on the periphery. Vishen was telling me earlier that in our field of personal transformation, supposedly 49% did not vote and didn't vote because of this idea that has been promulgated that somehow politics is too toxic and that it's not anything we should concern ourselves with. You can call that a lot of things, ladies and gentlemen, but don't call it spiritual. There is no spiritual or religious path anywhere that gives any of us a pass on addressing the suffering of other sentient beings. Not only are we the last group of people who should be standing on the sidelines, we should not only be in there, we should be the biggest grown-ups in the room. Because if you know what changes one life, you're the one who knows how to change the world. You see, politics today is part of a 20th century, increasingly obsolete relic of worldview. It's the old Newtonian paradigm where you see the world as one big machine. And so if you want to change the world, you think all you have to do is just tinker with the machine and change things on the outside. But those of us who are involved in personal growth and transformation know that if you really want to change your life, you have to do more than fix things on the outside. Because everything happening on the outside is a product of our consciousness. So if all I do is fix things on the outside, the same consequence will just turn into another iteration, another form, until I dress it on the level of cause. And all that a country is, all that a planet is, is a group of people. So the same psychological and emotional and spiritual dynamics that prevail within the transformation of a person prevail within the transformation of a country or an entire continent or a world. And so we need to transform now. Just like in our own personal lives, you get to a point of crisis. And what do you do if you're applying personal transformational principles? Well, if you're applying personal transformational principles and you realize that you're in a crisis, you, number one, say, what was my part in this? 
In A Course in Miracles, it says, if you do not take 100% responsibility for your own part in your disasters, then the price you will pay for that is that you won't be able to fix them. You will not be able to solve them. And so we have to look at the part that we've played. We have to look at the part, for instance, disengagement from the political process. Disengagement from the political process just means that many of the things among us that we dislike the most were opportunistic infections. They only were able to occur because the immune system was weak. Each cell, that's what each citizen is. Citizenship is part of our spiritual past. Participating in what happens outside ourselves is part of the spiritual past. That is what it means to be deep. It means to be meaningful and to be living a dignified and mature life means we're not just thinking about ourselves. We're not just asking, how can I live a good life? How can I live an ethical life? Which is extremely important. That's where it all begins. But then we have to ask, is this an ethical society? Is it an ethical economy? Is it a good society? Is it a genuinely good society? Now, I know many of us had been drawn into that idea that somehow, because politics was toxic, we wouldn't go there. But, you know, I say all the time, there are crowd, every corner of the civilization we touch transforms. Where do you think all those yoga mats come from? Us. Where do you think all that mindfulness stuff comes from? Our crowd. The only reason politics is toxic is because we haven't gone there yet. shouldn't be standing on the outside, we should be sending one of our guys in. <laughs> because what we know is that you have to address where you're soulless. You have to address the gap between who you say you are and how you're behaving. You have to take a fearless moral inventory you have to address the exact nature of your own character defects. You need to atone for your mistakes. You need to make amends where appropriate. You need to really face, where am I more a promulgator of war and where am I more a promulgator of peace? And until you address these things in your own life, your life will not work. And until you address these things as a country, then no matter who is running that country, things will not work. And so we have some deep things to look at. And so many of us, if you're even at this today, this is probably not your first exposure to the principles of transformation. We're no longer living in a time where you hear someone like myself or Vishen or any of us speak and go, I've never even heard or thought of those things. That's not the moment we're living in. We're living in a moment where you come to an event like this and you find yourself saying to the person sitting next to you, isn't that interesting? He just brought that up. That's exactly what we were talking about last night. You don't come here to learn something you didn't already know. The era of data collection is over. Enough just talking about it. You come here for a kind of battery charge. The real work is what's going to happen when you leave here. The real work is what's going to happen because of the aha moment you got from Marie, the aha moment you get from Lisa, the aha moment you got from Vision, the aha moments hopefully you will get from me, and you walk out of here, and you're more of a real man, and you're more of a real woman. We have allowed our political and social disengagement of the personal transformational field has infantilized us. Too many of our men have behaved like little boys in the last few years. And too many of our women have behaved like little girls. Enough with coddling our trauma. Enough with coddling our tension. Enough with coddling our anxiety. We are not porcelain dolls. We are not porcelain dolls. Martin Luther King said you must have a tough mind 
and a tender heart. You think those people who were walking across the bridge in Selma were not traumatized? You think those women who were suffragettes who were thrown in prison because they were trying to get women the right to vote and they went on a hunger strike because of their terrible conditions inside the prison. And so what they did was they forced their necks into these horrible metal contractions to make them eat. You think they weren't under stress? You think they weren't under anxiety? Our stresses and our anxieties and our traumas, while real, are part of the larger traumas of the society. And if we make our addressing our traumas only on the level of our personal pain, number one, we will not be able to adequately address our personal pain, but even more, we will not be doing what we came to earth to do, which is to address the larger injustices, the larger soullessness, the larger lovelessness of this planet and transform it. And until we take our part as participants in that vast transformation, we will not be deeply happy. We will not be deeply at peace. For those of us who are Americans, there are three particular pieces, and this is the reason why I'm running for president. I'm running for president because I feel that these things must be addressed on these deep, fierce, and authentic levels. Somebody asked me one day what my strategy is, and I didn't think they quite understand what I was thinking, but I thought my strategy is the Shakti that emerges when truth is fiercely and authentically spoken. But in order for that to turn into a political force, I will tell you that I need those who agree with me to join with me. I need those who agree with me to join with me because the fields of obstruction, the ego does not say, oh, okay, and the collective ego does not say, okay, either. And so the political and economic status quo in this country does not really want to hear the transformational conversation that you and I are having. They don't want to put it on TV. They don't want to put it on the news shows. They don't want to really deeply include it in the conversation. But the fact that we have so many numbers and that we have so much money and that we have so much creative and manifestation capacity among us has already proven that we have changed medicine, we have changed education, we have changed business, and we're going to change the world. We stand for love. But the love that will save the world is not just a love for our children. The love that will save the world is also a love for children on the other side of town and the other side of the world. There are millions of American children who go to schools every single day in buildings that do not adequately meet safety standards, some of which don't even have functioning toilets, in schools where the classrooms are not filled with the minimum school supplies necessary to teach a child to read. Now, these children, if they do not learn how to read by the age of eight, have a drastically decreased chance of graduating from high school, and they have a drastically increased chance of incarceration. Many of these children, millions of them, live in what's called America's domestic war zones, where psychologists say they are experiencing a PTSD that is no less severe than the PTSD that is experienced by veterans returning from Afghanistan and Iraq. But a returning veteran has post-traumatic stress, These children have present traumatic stress because that stress is triggered and re-triggered every single day. Now, these children aren't old enough to vote, and so they aren't a constituency for the traditional political establishment to cater to. And they aren't old enough to work, so they don't have any financial leverage. So how can their views and their needs possibly be served? 
How can they possibly compete with the clout that is exercised by these huge corporate forces whose money so dominates our political system as to have turned our government into a system of legalized bribery? Now, if a person neglects a child in need, that person is called unethical at best and criminal at worst. So what do you call a whole society that is neglecting these children? And the question for us to ask as conscious people is, what does it say about me if I am saying nothing about these children? And the voice of enough of us That is how things change. You know, when the issue of the children being separated from their parents at the border became such a big drama, and people said to people in the Trump administration, the journalist said, well, how do you ever think that you'd get away with this? And someone in the Trump administration said, we actually didn't think people would notice or people would care. You see, when people do notice and do care, we are good people. Americans are decent, dignified people, no more or no less than people anywhere in the world. The issue, however, is that too many times And too chronically, we have addressed the issue of our goodness and our ethics only as it pertains to us personally and not how it pertains to the larger world. And anything that is happening to anyone, any public issue will ultimately get to your private door. If there's somebody on the other side of town suffering or someone on the other side of the world suffering because of the activities of your government, be very, very clear. These things should be seen as a canary in the coal mine. They will get to you. Good luck with all that green juice. Good luck with all that gluten-free. When they are gutting the Clean Water Act, they are gutting the Clean Air Act, and they are overturning the ban on pesticides that we absolutely no harm a child's brain. So as long as you're breathing the air and as long as you're drinking the water, all this health and wellness stuff is only going to be able to go so far. The question for us in the transformational field is it's very nice that you want to address the symptoms of this insanity in your own life. The real issue is are you willing to address it on the level of cause? Because if you are, you have a few things to say to chemical companies and oil companies and food companies and how the EPA operates. It's time for the American people to do what we've always done when we are at our best. And that's when we see certain things, we say as politely and kindly as possible, that shit stops now. I don't think the average American is a racist. That's not my impression at all. But I do think that the average American is vastly undereducated about the history of race in this country, particularly since the Civil War. Now, as I said before, one of the principles of personal transformation is that you have to address your own character defects. You know, just like the Catholics go to confession and the Jews, the most holy day of the year is Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. In AA, they talk about how you have to take this fearless moral inventory, address the exact nature of your character defects. America's original character defect has to do with race. This country was founded on the most extraordinarily enlightened principles of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, being given a God-given, unalienable right. The idea that all men are created equal. The idea that governments are instituted among men to secure our rights. And yet, 41 signers of the Declaration of Independence were themselves slave owners. So that dichotomy has been with us from the beginning. It has been with us from the beginning that we aspire to the most illumined principles but often ourselves have been the most heinous perpetrators of transgression against them. And every generation holds that dichotomy, ours no less than any other. 
And every generation decides for itself, what will be the basic story of this generation? Are we going to go with the aristocratic paradigm? Are we going to go with the idea that only a few people should be free? Only a few people should be entitled? Only a few people, as they, the aristocratic system that this country was founded to repudiate, was a system in which only a few people could own land. Only a few people were entitled to wealth. Only a few people were entitled to education. Only a few people were entitled to materialize their dreams. Dreams. And the entire idea of the American dream is that we should not cap anybody's dreams, that everybody should have a chance to soar. Everybody. And starting from the very beginning, that dichotomy between these high principles, the angels of our better nature, and what amounts to the demons of our inner nature has been centered around the issue of race. Now, we abolished slavery took another hundred years after the abolition of slavery to abolish institutionalized white supremacy and then segregation in the American South. And in the 1960s, we did dismantle the mechanisms of segregation, and we did pass a Voting Rights Act to ensure that black people would have equal access to voting in America. Ladies and gentlemen, just like in any other relationship, in many ways, we've now slid backwards. In 2013, our Supreme Court began to gut the Voting Rights Act, which is exactly why we have all these voting suppression efforts all over this country, and we know who they're basically aimed at. Mass incarceration also means we have slid backwards. Racial disparity in our criminal sentencing is another sign that we have slid backwards. What do you do in your personal life when you face these things? You fix it, you atone, you make amends. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to pay reparations for slavery. It's time. At the end of the Civil War, General Tecumseh Sherman promised to every family of four of the enslaved population, 40 acres and a mule. And we hear this phrase, but when you think about what that means, you had been a slave. You certainly had a skill set. You were out there working, but you were forced labor. With 40 acres and a mule, you would have a chance to start your life over. You would have a chance to go out there and do it for yourself. In most of the cases, that 40 acres was never given, and when it was given, most of the time it was then taken away. And so that formerly enslaved population never had a chance to get a foothold in the U.S. economy compared to whites. And so what has happened since 1865 is the gap has never been closed because of racial prejudice that has been included and perpetuated in our economic and social systems. You know, abolishing slavery... And the Emancipation Proclamation, these are external remedies. We know how these things work. They could abolish institutions, but they could not abolish racism. And so racism being the ultimate disease, it has simply reformed itself. So it's simply time for us to take the next step in this healing relationship. When you had two and a half centuries of slavery, and then you had another century of institutionalized violence against a certain population, then you simply take the next step. Germany has paid $89 billion in reparations to Jewish organizations since World War II. And the United States, in 1988, Ronald Reagan passed the American Civil Liberties Act, whereby people who had been interned in the Japanese internment camps during World War II, the surviving people who had been prisoners were then given anywhere between 20,000 and 22,000. 
We could have a plan of reparations where, for the sake of projects of economic and educational renewal, America did the right thing. You know, it's interesting, ladies and gentlemen. Many people in our community have talked about random acts of kindness. Well, I would like to submit to you, random acts of kindness are not enough right now. We need huge, strategized acts of doing the right thing. There is someone among us who has harnessed fear for political purposes, and we must now harness love for political purposes. That is our task. There are many more people who love than hate in this country and in this world, but the problem is that those who hate, hate with conviction. Those who hate are strategic. Those who hate are organized. Those who hate are really serious about getting this done. What is needed is not more numbers of those who love. What's needed is some spine among those who love. We need to be strategic around our love. Love now. We need to be convicted around our love now. And one of the last things that's so important for us to look at in order to get this done is to realize it's not just enough to just prepare for war. You have to wage peace. Our national defense strategy has nothing to do with planning peace in the next 50 years or 100 years. You can't just fight sickness, you have to cultivate health. That's the type of thing we realize. And so people in the transformational field are the ones who would understand you can't just be prepared to fight a war. We must be prepared to fight a war. I'm not saying we shouldn't. I'm not saying we shouldn't have a very powerful military. We have respect for the military. This is not their decision-making that we're talking about here. If you're gonna have surgery, you wanna have the best surgeon, but you wanna avoid surgery if that's possible. Right now, for every dollar we spend on real peace creation, we spend over $1,000 on preparing for war. You don't create peace just by buying more military equipment. You prepare for peace by expanding educational opportunities for children around the world, expanding economic opportunities for women around the world, <laughs> decreasing violence against women around the world, and ameliorating human suffering wherever possible. Ladies and gentlemen, desperate people, large groups of desperate people should be seen as a national security risk. We of all people understand what despair does. We understand what pain does. We understand what anxiety does. Large groups of desperate people do desperate things. Large groups of desperate people are more vulnerable to ideological capture by genuinely psychotic forces. So it doesn't matter how much military power you have, ladies and gentlemen, if there's enough pain in enough people's hearts, and if enough of those people think you're the cause of it, then God help us. We understand these things, don't we? Because we understand that it's not just about what happens in Washington, it's about what happens in us. We need a politics that is not just to address this narrow view of things where we think it's all about data, it's all about hard power, it's all about brute force, it's all about numbers. No, it's not really. It's about what people's experience is that will then determine how they act, how they behave. And when we in our personal lives behave with love and try to do the right thing and try to help people and do well, and even in this crowd, we have to look at that. I want to remind everybody in the personal transformation field, Jesus did not come to the earth to say, love yourself. <laughs> it's not just about love yourself. It's love each other. just about love myself. It was love and compassion for all sentient beings. It can't just stay in here, and it can't just stay in our tribe, and it can't just stay in our ethnic group, our religion, our color, our sex, our sexuality, or even our corner of the culture. We have to now expand our love. And as we do, miracles happen because miracles always happen when love is present.
And so it's time for a politics that is integrative, just like we helped usher in a medical model, a health and wellness model that's integrative, it's whole person. It's not just two-dimensional and black and white, it's multi-dimensional, and it has so much color in it. It has so many dimensions in it. It's what happens when people wake up. That is what will determine what happens in our country and in our world in the 21st century. It will not be politics as a spectator sport where a bunch of people who are just trying to organize things according to an economic model that should stay in the 20th century. It's like when you grow up and you realize, how did my parents behave? And then you go, hmm, they did it well. Where they did it well, I want to do it even better. And where they did it bad, I'm going to break that chain so I'm not going to take that into the life of my kids. For people who are not even living the majority of their lives in the 20th century, 21st century, and many of whom aren't living any of their lives in the 20th century, should not be burdened by the old, obsolete, inaccurate, inadequate thinking of the 20th century. It is the 21st century. We in the health and wellness community have helped usher in the enlightened constructs that have already transformed business, that have already transformed medicine, that have already transformed education, that have already transformed science, and for all of us here, have already, when we have applied those principles, transformed our lives. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you'll help me. Let's transform America and transform this world. Thank you very, very, very much. Thank you. If you enjoyed that talk, I think it's going to be a really fun game to see how far Marianne Williamson is going to go. She is up against some really amazing contenders, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren. I have so much respect for Bernie and Elizabeth and Kamala Harris and all the other men and women running for president of the United States. But I'd love to see Marianne go further because she is bringing personal growth into politics. And I think it's interesting how the world will unfold, how the United States will unfold when someone who is a personal growth teacher steps into that incredible leadership position. FDR said that the purpose of the president of the United States is not as much policy, but moral leadership. What he meant by this is that the president is meant to be the moral compass for the nation. And as long as this president is open to feedback and surrounds himself by smart people, the exact execution, the exact policy can be done right. But without moral leadership, a country can really suffer. So if you feel that based on what you just heard, Marion Williamson has the right moral leadership for America go ahead and support the campaign. Go to marianne2020.com, M-A-R-I-A-N-N-E 2020.com and make a donation. This only applies if you're American. Donors must be American. Even a dollar will do. And of course, don't forget to tweet, Instagram, and share Marian Williamson's talks, social media appearances, and follow her on Instagram too. Her Instagram is at Marian Williamson. M-A-R-I-A-N-N-E-W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S-O-N. Thank you. And let's bring compassion, morality, spirituality into our political discussions. I also want to ask, when you leave a review for this, please don't bring politics into it. Don't leave a negative review just because you might be a Republican. This is not about that. I am not asking you to agree with everything Marianne says. I don't agree with everything Marianne says. I'm simply sharing this talk because I think it is an important discussion to have in terms of personal growth, wellness, 
consciousness and spirituality within politics. So go ahead and leave a review, but keep it on the content. Don't make it about politics. I'll appreciate you for that. Thanks all. See you next week. Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body? your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.